This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to a brand new episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and excuse the scratchy, and as I like to say, Wolfman Jack voice, because uh, like so many people on the East Coast, I'm also fighting the cold, but anywho, I will survive. Tonight's episode is entitled, Home Sweet Home, which is very much a play on words. I could also entitle it, Every House Holds Many Secrets. Mm. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are two of our favorites or at least two of my favorites, Inner Sanctum and Hall of Fantasy. The first radio play is Murder Mansion, which was first broadcasted on Inner Sanctum on March 27th, 1950. And that's followed by the radio play Man-Sized and Marvel, which was first broadcasted on the Hall of Fantasy on April 10th, 1947. And it's the adaptation of the short story written by E. Nesbitt, which was first published on January 1st, 1886. Now, for those who are familiar with the Hall of Fantasy or have heard episodes I featured in the past, you'll notice the format may sound somewhat different. And that's due to the fact that this is an earlier rendition of the series, which came out in the mid-1940s. And the format was basically featuring adaptations of suspense and horror narrations. Just a little just a little bit of information there for you. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Murder Mansion, followed by Man Sized and Marble. Good evening, friends. This is your host again to welcome you through the creaking door into the inner sanctum. Come in. Come on in. I want you to meet Ambrose, our man-shy ghost. The other night in a graveyard, he bumped into a human and was so frightened he turned flesh-colored. Yes, poor Ambrose. He's got a bad case of ants in his fantasies. He's so upset he's just a ghost of his former... Ghost. <laughs> Was a time when we held high hope for Ambrose. Oh, yes, that abnormal you. He was cited by his classmates as the personality most likely to split. <laughs> and now, let's visit Murder Mansion. 
For over a hundred years, the old house has stood on the cliff, weathering the relentless ocean winds that have battered at its gray shingles. Now, in the living room, the real estate agent and the new buyer are completing the arrangements of sale. Only uh, one thing bothers me, Mr. Griffin. That uh, graveyard just outside the window there. Are you sure nothing can be done about it? Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Burley. You know the conditions set down in the deed. The Crandall family burial ground must remain on the property untampered with. Hmm. Those Crandalls must have been a morbid family. Having themselves buried right next to the house they lived in. Yes, they were peculiar. (laughs) I guess they figured it was a way of keeping the family together. (laughs) You shouldn't laugh, Mr. Griffin. What? What are you doing here? I hope I'm not too late. Uh, this is the gentleman who's planning to buy the house? Mr. Burley's already bought it. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, look. What is this, Griffin? Who is this woman? I'm Emily Robbins. Uh, Mr. Burley, please, you must sell this house immediately to me. Sell it? That's ridiculous. I just bought it. Mr. Griffin never should have allowed you to. Now, see here, Mrs. Robbins. Just a minute, Griffin. I want to hear what she has to say. Well, all right, but you can see she... She isn't exactly accountable. You're bad, Mr. Griffin. You promised to sell the house to me. But you couldn't wait until I had the money, could you? I'm in the real estate business, not charity. Uh, Mrs. Robbins, I still want to hear why Griffin shouldn't have sold me this house. Because, Mr. Burley, a house isn't just a thing made of wood and stone and mortar. It's almost a living, breathing creature. It accepts and rejects people just the way we do. I was born a Crandall, and only a Crandall may live here. Anybody but a Crandall would be an enemy within its walls. You'd never spend a happy moment here. Oh, you see, Mr. Burley, I told you, she doesn't make sense. Please, Mr. Burley, for your own sake, sell it. Ah. Oh, you can't frighten me into a quick sale. No, I know I'll buy when I see it. My wife and I will be living here within a few days. I'm sorry, Mr. Burley, but I don't think you will. I don't think you will ever live here. Helen! Oh, Helen! Mr. Burley? Yes, Ada. Where's Mrs. Burley? I want to tell her I got that house at my price. Oh, sir, you'd better go upstairs. The doctor's still there. Doctor? What's the matter? Oh, Mr. Burley. What is it, Ada? What is it? Your wife is... Is dead. What? She seemed so well after lunch. She was upstairs napping, and when she didn't come down at her usual time, I went up. I tried to wake her. Helen, dead? No, it can't be. It just can't be. I tried to get you everywhere. But she hadn't been sick. There's no reason she should die. Dr. Hirschman said the same thing. He said that... Hello? Is Mr. Burley there, please? Well, Mr. Burley can't come to the phone right now. Oh, it's, it's all right, Ada. I'll take it. Yes, sir. Hello? Mr. Burley, this is Mrs. Robbins. Miss... I called to ask you if you've changed your mind about selling me the house. Can I bring you something, Mr. Burley? No, Ada, thank you. Sir, I know it's none of my business, but... Maybe you shouldn't have come to live in this house. Maybe you should have sold it to Mrs. Robbins. I had to come here. 
I have to prove to myself that a house can have no evil influence over life and death. Of course it can't. And yet, according to the doctor, my wife passed away almost at the very moment I... I bought this house. I... I'm so confused, I don't know what to think. I'm not one to butt in, but you are letting the house have an effect on you. Well, you haven't moved from that window all evening. I'm just trying to fathom things out. You've been standing there staring out at that graveyard. I'm all right. Now, let me alone. Yes, sir. Good night, Mr. Burley. Good night. Hey, Ed. What is it, sir? That graveyard out there. When the lightning flashed just then, I saw it. Saw so what? There was a new headstone among the old ones. A brand new headstone. Griffin, how long ago was the last Crandall buried in the graveyard out there? The last one? Let's see. Oh, yes, it was uh, Vincent Crandall. He died 20 years ago. 20 years? Then his headstone would have been a little worn by this time. Well, sure it would, but what are you... Then uh... what is the meaning of the new headstone? New? Come to the window. I'll show you. Oh, now, Mr. Burley... There's a brand new headstone out there over a fresh grave. But that's impossible. I saw it first when the lightning flashed. Well, you must be imagining things. Then see for yourself. Here, take this flashlight. Shine it out there on the graves and see for yourself. All right. Well? Mr. Burley, maybe you'd better see a doctor. Doctor? They're all old headstones out there. The new one is only in your mind. Give me that flashlight. Mr. Griffin, what? You've been under a terrible strain. Your wife's sudden death and all. I, I don't know. What made me think I saw a new headstone out there? I, I want to sell this house. Right away. Well, you know, it takes a little time to arrange a sale. Well, what about that Robbins woman? She'll buy it. She's been bothering me all along to sell it to her. Hey, but Mrs. Robbins can't pay you a decent price. Well, I don't care. I'll take anything she offers. I want you to get in touch with her. All right, Mr. Burley. I'll call her in the morning. No, no. I can't wait until then. I want this house sold tonight. Griffin, why Mr. Burley had to bring me out here this time of the night? Well, he's made up his mind to sell. He wants to close the deal tonight. You don't want me to have this house, do you? Look, Mrs. Robbins, I don't care who gets it just as long as it's at a decent price. So you can get a higher commission. You're a very selfish man, Mr. Griffin. I'm not in business for love. Your wife did well to leave you. She was as crazy as you are. Why doesn't he answer the door? What's taking him so long? Oh, mercy! What was that? Someone's screaming. Came from... Say, the garage. There's a light in there. Come on. Whoever screamed must be in that garage. Well, we'll soon find out. But maybe it isn't safe for us to go in there. Well, that's a chance I'm going to have to take. What? Ada. Mr. Griffin. Well, that was you who screamed, huh? Yes. Why? What happened? Mr. Burley. What is it, Ada? What about Mr. Burley? He's dead. What? He left the house an hour ago. 
I looked out of the window and noticed that the garage here was lit. I came out and I found him slumped over in the car, dead. How dreadful. Oh, this place is filled with carbon monoxide films. It wouldn't have happened. None of it. If he hadn't bought the house... Now, look, Mrs. Robbins, this is no time for that superstitious nonsense of yours. She's right, Mr. Griffin. It is nonsense. What do you mean, Ada? Here. Look. On the back seat of the car. Good Lord. A new headstone. Anybody want to buy a house? The Crandall place is a real buy. All you have to give for it is your life. <laughs> Too bad about our friend Mr. Burley, huh? Thought he was getting a bargain basement, but instead he's ended up in a basement he didn't bargain for. Yes, he should have taken old Lady Robin's advice, which in a phrase was, one man's menage is another man's morgue. <laughs> well, now, let's get back to our mystical manor. A week has passed since Burley's death, and the real estate agent, Mr. Griffin, has found a new buyer. Uh, here's your check, Mr. Griffin. Oh, thank you, Mr. Wagner. I consider this house a real buy. Well, you're the only person who's had any interest in it since Mr. Burley died. The place has gotten a bad name. Most people are superstitious, I guess. Wouldn't live here if you paid them. Uh, superstition never bothered me. Uh, Mr. Griffin. Yes? What are you looking at that way? This graveyard out there, I... I don't understand. Understand? What are you trying to say? There were always ten graves out there, I'm sure. But now there's eleven. I'm sorry, Mrs. Robbins, but nothing you say can persuade me to sell. Please, Mr. Wagner, for your own sake, don't be stubborn. It may cost you your life. You know what happened to Mr. Burley and his wife. Well, I've always prided myself on being a jink burger. Oh, be sensible. That's a very silly reason to, to live here. Maybe I have another reason, too. What do you mean? Charles Burley was a very close friend of mine. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I told it to Mr. Griffin. Now I'm telling you. I knew Burley like a brother. Everything about him. Mrs. Robbins, he wasn't the type to commit suicide. Oh, but he didn't commit suicide. Oh, you seem to know a lot about it. I do. Then maybe you can tell me who killed him. I can. Who? This house is the killer. Now, look. Oh, it is, Mr. Wagner. I know. You don't believe me, do you? Of course not. Well, soon you'll find out that I'm telling the truth. That sounds like a threat. No, no, Mr. Wagner. I'm not threatening you. I'm just trying to help. I I I'm just giving you a, a chance to live. One more chance to sell me this house at my price. And if I refuse? If you don't sell it to me now, well, then uh, I'll buy it after your death. I see. Well, Mrs. Robbins, there's nothing more we can talk about. 
I'm sure you know your way out. Good afternoon. Good day, Mr. Agnes. Hello, Mrs. Robinson. Oh, what? Ada, what are you doing here? Oh, didn't you know? I'm Mr. Wagner's new maid. Hello. Mr. Griffin? Yes? Well, come over here to the Crandall house right away. Mr. Wagner wants to see you. Why, who, who is this? It's very important, Mr. Griffin. Come as quickly as you can. Yes, but who is this? Hello. 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 Operator, get me main 6539 and hurry. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir, but that line is disconnected. Disconnected? What? Well, that's impossible. I just spoke to someone at that number. Try them again. I'm sorry, sir, but I checked. There is no way I can get you the number. <laughs> Griffin. Oh, Mrs. Robbins, what are you doing here at the Crandall house? I was waiting for you, Mr. Griffin. I don't understand. Come in, please. I was the one who called you on the phone to come out here. I didn't say who I was because well, I didn't want to mention names. But I tried to get the phone here right after you hung up. The operator said the line was disconnected. It is. The wire has been cut. I walked down the road to the mobile gas station to call you to come out here. Mrs. Robbins, just what is this all about anyway? Why are you here and where is Ada and Mr. Wagner? Ada's left. She's gone away. Good. What? On the hall table over there, a note from Ada to Mr. Wagner, explaining why she left. And what about Mr. Wagner himself? Where is he? In the dining room. Oh, wait, wait, please don't go in there. Yet he... He's dead. Mr. Wagner dead? When I came in, he was slumped over the table. When you came in, huh? Well, the way you say that, Mr. Griffin, you, you make it sound like you think I killed poor Mr. Wagner. Well, what should I think? Oh, I wouldn't do a thing like that. Then suppose you tell me exactly what you're doing out here tonight. Well, it's like this, Mr. Griffin. I was home in bed, but I couldn't sleep. A strange feeling kept running through me that I should come out here and, and try to convince Mr. Wagner that he should sell the house before another day passed. Oh, a feeling, huh? You can believe me. Oh, sure. When I arrived out here, the door was open and... And everything is just as you see it. What about the police? I didn't call them. Why not? Because I wanted to speak to you first. Speak to me with a murdered man in the next room? It wasn't murder. It was just the will of this house. And I want this house. You'd do anything to get it, wouldn't you? Yes. Anything. Even murder? Yes. Mrs. Robbins, I'm driving down the road to make a phone call to the police. Mr. Griffin! Mr. Griffin, wait! What? Well, Ada, what are you doing here? I was watching you and Mrs. Robbins through the window. Mr. Wagner is dead. I know. But how could you? 
You left the house this morning. I saw his body slumped over the table. You think the same as I do, don't you? Well, what do you mean by that? You suspect Mrs. Robbins, too. In a way. But I also suspect you, Ada. Me? But I can't exactly figure out what your game is. Game? I have no game. And why did you leave a note saying you were going away? What note? There's no use lying. I saw it myself on the hall table. But, but you must be mistaken. Today is my day off. I left the house early this morning. I didn't write a note. Well, if you are telling the truth... I am, I am. Then I know who did write that note. You wait right here for me. I'll be back in ten minutes. Keep your eye on the house. Where are you going? The phone inside is disconnected. I'm going down the road to call the police. I'll go with you. Why? I'd rather not stay here alone. Mrs. Robbins doesn't know you're out here. You're safe. Just the same. I'd feel better if I went with you. I'm not taking you with me. You act as if you're afraid of me. Maybe I am. But why? Why? Because when Mrs. Burley died, you were in the house. The same with Mr. Burley. And now, Mr. Wagner, you were there when every victim died, Ada. I won't let you in this car with me. You you called the police, Mr. Griffin? Yes, they're on the way out now. By the way, what are you doing here in this kitchen? Oh, I was just walking through the rooms. Recalling the happy moments I spent here when, when I was young. You sure that's the only reason? Well, yes. I thought maybe Ada had something to do with it. Ada? You know very well she's left. You saw her note. Ada didn't write that note. What? I talked to her outside this house 15 minutes ago. She was to wait out there for me until I got back. She wasn't there. What's happened to her? I didn't see Ada, but... But wait. What is it? About five minutes ago, I I thought I heard something move down the cellar. The cellar? Yes, but then I I thought it was just my imagination. Hold on a minute. What's the matter? Just now. I heard it, too. Something or someone is down there. Come on. We're going down into the cellar to look around. Mr. Griffin. Look, it's, it's lit down there in the cellar. Yes. Go on. You're going first so I can keep my eye on you. Mr. Griffin. What is it? The hole in the floor here. Huh? One of the stone flooring slabs has been removed. There's an old well down there. I remember it was sealed up when I was a little girl. Yes. And I can see the slab was freshly removed. I wonder why. Mr. Griffin. What now? Be- behind you, in the shadows. Look, there's a woman's body. It's Ada. She's dead. Yes, I know. Why, you say it as if you were sure we would find her this way. I was sure. You see, Mrs. Robbins, I killed her. <gasps> I didn't have quite enough time to dispose of her body in the old well here. I heard you moving about upstairs in the kitchen. But why did you kill her, Mr. Griffin? Because she insisted on living in this house like the others. Then it wasn't this house. 
It wasn't because they weren't Crandall's. Of course not, but your idiotic superstition about this place helped my plan. Mrs. Burley's sudden, peculiar death was a lucky coincidence for me. It gave me the idea for the others. I needed a series of deaths to completely destroy the value of this place so no one would ever live in it. But why? On several occasions, you mentioned my wife, Mrs. Robbins. You see, you were wrong about her, as everybody else was wrong. She didn't run away from me. She would have, but I killed her. And her body is down at the bottom of that well, just as Ada's will be, and just as yours will be. But the police are coming. They'll find you out. You foolish old woman, do you think I really called them? Now, Mrs. Robbins. No, no, please don't come near me. You wanted to stay in this house. Now you will, forever. No, no. You're going to get the thing you wanted most. Yeah. What? Oh. You're, you're not going to kill her, too? Ada. Yes, Ada. No, no, it can't be. You're dead. Not yet. Not completely. I've just enough no. life left. No, my leg. You. Let me go. Let me go. The well. I'm falling there. Ada. Oh, Ada. You thought it was nonsense, didn't you, Mr. Griffin? But it was this house that kept her alive long enough to protect me. My house, Mr. Griffin. As they say, all's well that ends in a well. Say, folks, what about that Griffin character? Just goes to show how a property agent can sink to such a, an unreal estate. Hmm? Yes, sir, that's what I call tripping over your own plot. Now, Mrs. Robbins will never be lonely. No, when things get dull, she can always step outside the house and... Dig up a relative or two. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, the Granite Furniture Company with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo presents... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of 
Man-Size in Marble. The Granite Furniture Company brings you the Hall of Fantasy. Listen now to original tales of the imagination and some of the classics of the supernatural as we take you down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to the mysterious realms of the unknown. These are stories of eerie and fantastic thrills brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Stores. And now for tonight's story, a radio adaptation by Bob Olson of E. Nesbitt's story, Man-Size in Marble. The villagers called it a delusion. That explanation gave them some comfort. Since it will give you comfort also, I'll say no more about it, except that it's difficult to understand how hallucinations can commit murder. Ours was one of those marriages on a dime. I'd been doing a bit of painting in those days and never knew what it was to have the money I really needed. But then Laura knew this before she married me. Well, we'll get along if we're careful. You can paint and, and I'll write articles for the magazines. Living in town will be out of the question, dear. Well, we can find some little place in the country. As long as it's picturesque and sanitary. It doesn't matter where it is. And so we spent our honeymoon lightheartedly looking for a place that was both sanitary and picturesque. The two qualities that rarely keep company in one cottage. Little rose-covered trellises would invariably hide the corruption that lurked inside. We'd looked so hard and were so confused by the eloquence of house agents that we seriously began to doubt if we could tell a house from a haystack even if we found one. But when we came out to the little village of Brenzette and thence two miles out to see the famous little church, our search was ended. For there, just two fields away, was the cottage. Picturesque it was, for it was long and low, with rooms taking off in unexpected directions. Two of the rooms were of ancient stonework, now covered with moss and ivy. It was all that remained of a huge manor that had stood here years ago. Around these rooms had risen the cottage as it stood this day quite by itself. Our nearest neighbor was a jolly Scotch doctor, McCarthy by name, whose cottage was a little distance down the lane. Our new home nestled cozily against a low hill and looked out across the marsh meadows to the sea. Yes, it was a pretty cottage. Though stripped of its roses and jasmine, it would no doubt have been hideous. The rent was absurdly cheap, and it seemed quite likely that between the two of us, we could keep the kettle simmering. We spent the rest of our honeymoon in second-hand shops, picking up odds and ends of oak and Chippendale until the cottage soon became very homey. Fully settled, we were so happy. And that day we looked from the latticed window onto the old-fashioned garden with its colorful splash of hollyhocks and lilies. Laura sat outlined against the window, I before my easel. What are you painting, Ben? You, my dear. Me? Well, why not this lovely countryside? Mm, first my wife, then the countryside. And uh, what are you writing? A verse. About what? You. <laughs> it was a gay life, the sort that only the quite humble or the very rich could enjoy. Our fortune was added to when we found Mrs. Dorman, a tall peasant woman with a good face and figure to keep house for us. Laura was delighted with her. For Mrs. Dorman was full of stories of the past. 
stories of the smugglers and highwaymen who dominated this part of England, cutting purses and throats with equal zest. Better still were her stories about the things that walked and the sights that one met of a starry night. They gave Laura a good deal of material for her articles. Old wives' tales, I called them. Three months passed quickly. We hadn't had a single quarrel. That's why it startled me when on the return from a visit to Dr. McCarthy, Laura, who had always been so happy, rushed to my arms and buried her dark little head in my shoulder and wept. Laura, what is it? Mrs. Dorman. What about Mrs. Dorman? She's leaving us. Leaving us? Well, what on earth for? She says that she must leave before the end of the month. She says that her niece is ill. But I don't believe her because, well, her niece has always been ill. She acted so, so queerly. <laughs> don't cry, Laura. You know, it's a terrible shock to see you cry. I might cry a bit myself just watching you. And you'd never respect me again. Oh, but it's serious. Those people in the village are so sheepy and... Well, if Mrs. Dorman leaves us without any explanation, no one will come and take her place. I just know it. Well, then we'll share the housework. But we'll have no time to earn what we need, and oh, we've been doing so nicely now. We'll have to work all day and, and rest only when the kettle's boiling. Oh, you exaggerate, Laura. We'll have less time, but there'll still be time. However, when Mrs. Dorman comes back, I'll have a talk with her. We'll come to some sort of terms. Tell you what. Let's take a walk up to the old church. The church was large and lonely, and we enjoyed the stroll in the moonlight. The path that went through a wood and along the crest of a little hill was called the Beer Path, for the dead had been carried along this path to be buried. The churchyard was enclosed by a low wall and ceiling by several large elms whose branches stretched out as if in benediction over the dead. We entered the old church from a long, low porch, and through a heavy oak door studded with iron. Inside, the arches rose up into the darkness. We strolled up to the chancel where the fine-colored glass windows let in faint hues of filtered moonlight. It gave everything a substance of, of shadow, even the gray marble figures of the two knights who lay there in full plate armor with hands upheld in everlasting prayer. You know, it's a funny thing. If there is any light in this church at all, it seems to shine on these figures. Who are they? No one knows. The peasants say they were marauders, bandits, that they were the scourge of their day. Does it give you kind of a, a strange feeling to, to know they used to live where we live now? I hadn't thought much about it. Uh, has Mrs. Dorman told you the story? She doesn't know about it. She said the house was struck by a bolt of lightning. Mm, I heard it was the vengeance of heaven against their foul deeds. Funny how a pair like that would be given such an honored place in this little church. Well, the gold was good, no matter where it came from. Their heirs probably bought the honor. Mm, those marble statues certainly aren't flattering. Yeah. From the looks on the faces, even in marble, I doubt their conversion to Christianity. The church looked very weird as the shadows cast eerie forms about. We looked again at the sleeping warriors, and a feeling of awe came over us. Outside, we sat on the ancient stone seats, gazing out across the moon-misted meadows. A sense of quiet and peacefulness came over us. At such times, troubles don't exist. Well, feel better than you did, dear? Yes, Vance. Oh, let's never leave this place. It's lovely. Ah, yes. 
Wasn't it silly to get all worked up over Mrs. Dorman? It's still a terrible nuisance. Granted, but if scrubbing and blacking boots is the worst of our lot, we'll manage quite well even without Mrs. Dorman. Of course we will. Nevertheless, when we get back to the house, I'll have a talk to her. She should be there by now. I hope you can convince her. Uh, Mrs. Dorman, what's this I hear about your leaving? Well, I'd like to leave before the end of the month, sir. Well, aren't you happy here? Uh, maybe you'd like a raise in your wages. It's not that, sir. You and your lady have been most kind. Well, then, uh, suppose we work it out so that you can stay. No, Mr. Longin, I'd rather leave. My niece is ill. Yes, I know, but she's been ill all along. Uh, would you consider staying on for another month? No, sir. I want to leave before Thursday. But this is Monday, woman. That's rather short notice. I'll tell you what. Stay on until next week. Maybe I can come back next week. But why must you go this week? Well, speak up. It's this house, sir. This house? Well, what about it? They saw that strange deeds was done here in olden times. In olden times? Oh, but this is now. What, what deeds do you mean? Well, don't worry, Mrs. Dorman. I, I'm not going to laugh at you. Well, sir, have you seen them two shapes beside the altar in the church? You mean the effigies of the knights in armor? I mean them two bodies brought out man-size in marble. A very graphic description, Mrs. Dorman, but uh, what about the knights? In the village, they saw that on all sides eve, those bodies come to life. Those marble statues? They saw that they rise up from their slabs and walks down the aisle in their marble. Then when the church clock strikes eleven, they come out into the night and walks over a grind. But how do you suppose When that... the lights have been wet, there was the marks of their feet along the beer path. Well, where do they go? Back to their home. Their home? But their home was... In this house. Well, did anyone ever see this happen? I ain't sighing. All I know is what I know. Who was living here last year? No one, sir. The lady would only out spent the summer here, but she always went up to London a good month before the night. And so you think you must go? Yes, sir. My niece is ill. Oh, your niece... Oh, very well, Mrs. Dorman. Go if you think you must. But don't say anything about this to Mrs. Langham. Must you go, Mrs. Dorman? Yes, ma'am. This is Thursday. I can't stay no longer. It's going to put quite a load on us. Don't try to do too much, Mrs. Langham. If there's anything I can do next week, well, I won't mind in the least. Thank you. Oh, but <laughs> we'll try to manage. And whatever you do... Lock the door early tomorrow night and mite the sign of the cross over it. What do you mean? Uh, that's Mrs. Dorman's little Halloween joke, dear. It's no joke. And if you ask me... Goodbye, Mrs. Dorman. Goodbye. And don't forget what I said. What did she mean, then? Nothing, dear. Mrs. Dorman is just a superstitious old biddy, that's all. I would have looked forward to Friday a much happier man if I could have believed what I had just told Laura. But Friday came the day before All Saints' Eve, the day this story ends. 
In fact, the day that gave this story its horrible substance. You are listening to Man, Size, and Marble in tonight's journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Company with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo. And now back to tonight's story, Bob Olson's adaptation of Man Size in Marble. I arose early that morning and had already built a rather smoky success of a fire when Laura came down as bright as the bright morning itself. We had breakfast and went after the housework. When the brushes and pails were silent at last, we set up and pails were silent at last, we set up and pails were silent at last, and spent one of the merriest days since our wedding. That afternoon we took a long walk, completely happy, and Laura sweeter than ever. I decided that housework was good for her. We watched the deep flame of sunset as it slowly faded to a dull gray, and then walked back to the cottage hand in hand without a word. Once inside, we sat in the parlor and seemed to settle into a deep silence. I thought it was a happy silence, and what I asked Laura had no particular significance at the time. You seem sad, Laura. I was surprised at her answer. Yes, I, I don't think I feel quite well. I've had the shivers, and it isn't cold, is it? No, unless it's one of those nasty mists that creep up from the marsh. There is no mist, dear. Hmm, doesn't seem to be at that. Hmm, no mist. In that case, darling, you're not entitled to a chill. Sorry. Van. Mm-hmm? Do you ever have a presentiment of evil? Mm, don't believe in them. I do. When my father died, he was away in North Scotland. But the night he died, I knew it. Oh, forgive me, Vance. Come and light up the candles on the piano, and we'll play one of our duets. Ten o'clock already. Light up your pipe if you'd like, Vance. I don't mind. I think I'll take it outside. May I come too? No, dear. You're much too tired. I shan't be long. You get to bed or you'll be ill. You're taking good care of me, darling. I have to. Can't do all this housework by myself, you know. Then give me a kiss. That will be a pleasure. Mm. Let me go with you. Uh-uh. You get some rest. Vance? Yes? We've been very happy today, haven't we? Even happier than usual, sweetheart. You won't be gone long, will you? No, dear. Not long. I stepped out, leaving the door unlatched, for I expected to be back shortly. The night was magnificent. Huge masses of cloud, dark and heavy, seemed to clasp hands and reach from horizon to horizon. Through this flowing stream of clouds moved the moon, like a dolphin diving in and out of an endless succession of waves. The treetops swayed like a metronome to the gentle swing of the clouds. There was the mystic glow on the earth that comes from the blend of dew and moonlight. I drank in the serene beauty of the night. There wasn't a hint of emotion about. Not even a leaf stirred. The wind was high up, busy herding the clouds. Across the meadow, I saw the church tower standing out black against the sky. I suddenly thought of the three happy months I'd known here with Laura. Just then, the church sounded its bell. Hey, 11 o'clock. I should be getting back to the house. 
But first, I think I'll visit the church. I felt so happy and so very thankful. I wanted to take my gratitude to the old chapel that had heard the sorrows and the joys of its people for so many countless years. On my way, I passed our cottage and looked in the window where I saw Laura's dark little head silhouetted against the pale blue wall. She was very still. I decided not to disturb her. I turned down Beer Path. It was such a peaceful night that at first I was conscious of nothing. And then, suddenly, I became aware of a rustling sound that broke the stillness ever so gently. I stopped to listen. The sound stopped, too. I took another step and listened. The step seemed to echo my own. Well, if that's a poacher, he's a fool not to step more lightly. I left the beer path and took to the woods. The footsteps seemed to echo along the path I had just left. It was strange. Yes, it was strange. Ah, but then all night sounds are strange. I passed through the corpse gate and walked among the graves to the low porch of the church. The door was open. Hmm. Did I leave that open? I'd hate to have the damp get in and ruin those fine old fabrics. I went in and was halfway up the aisle when suddenly I remembered. That bell struck 11 o'clock. This is the very day, the very hour when the shapes drawn out man's size in marble begin to walk. Once I did remember, it came on me with a shiver. And I was ashamed. And so to make up for it, I walked boldly to the altar. I did that because, well, because I wanted to tell Mrs. Dorman how peacefully the shapes had slept through the ghastly hour. And so with my hands nonchalantly shoved into my pockets, I passed up the aisle. In the dim gray light, the other end of the church looked more, well, it looked larger than usual. The arches above the two tombs seemed to have grown too. At that moment, the moon came out from behind a cloud, and in the ghostly beams of light, I... I saw the reason. They're gone! I steadied myself. It's... it's some fool's practical joke. They... they can't be gone. I, I'm not in the right place. It's, it's... it's too dark to see here clearly. Yes, that's it. I took a newspaper from my pocket and lit it with a match. It flared up brightly. Confirmation was sickening. The bodies drawn out man's size in marble had actually disappeared from the church. Suddenly I was gripped with an indefinable horror. It was an overwhelming certainty of finished calamity. I drew down the torch and dashed down the aisle, out the front door and into the night. They're gone. They're gone. Help me, someone. The bodies, they're gone. Said old old man. Let go of me, you fool. The marble figures have gone from the church. They've disappeared, I tell you. Hey, they know. You've been smoking too much. Smoking and listening to old wives' tales. But, Doctor, I've seen the bare slabs with my own eyes. They're gone, I tell you. We'll come back with me. I'm going up to the Palmer's now. His loss is sick. We'll have a look into the bare slabs. Well, you can go if you like. I'm going home to Laura. Rubbish. Our neighbor made it. You kind of go around all your life as saying you saw a slab of marble in vitality. You kind of do it, man. I'm not going back there. Then you want that you should be a coward? Coward? No, but... Be I coward? I can help you if you didn't go down with me. Oh, all right. Come on. 
here we are at the church. Come in with me. I'm coming. But what have you got your ears closed for? Here, I'll strike a match. No, look there. What have you had to drink, man? I opened my eyes, and what I saw made me absolutely mad. A huge black screen dropped across my reason. But there on the cold gray slabs were the two grotesque shapes in their marble. I... I... Dr. McCarthy, I, I simply don't know what to say. It must have been the light, or, or maybe I have been working too hard. <laughs> yes, you know, I... I was sure they were gone. I am quite aware of that. You'll have to do something about that brain of yours. But, but wait. Look at this hand. Hey, what's wrong with it, Doctor? It's been broken. There's a finger missing. Finger? But the last time I saw it, it was perfect. Someone may have tried to remove it. That can't be right. My impression was that they were gone. Completely disappeared. That was too much tobacco and painting. Perhaps. Well, come along, Dr. McCarthy. My wife will be getting anxious. I told her I wouldn't be gone long. Well, I should be going off to the Palmers. I'd appreciate it if you'd come on to the cottage with me and... And, and drink to my better senses, or confusion to all ghosts or something. Well, it's pretty late, no? I had to see a lot of people tonight. I could go to the Palmers tomorrow. Horrid, I'll come with you. I believe I needed the sensible old doctor more than the Palmer girl did. You've had an illusion, man. Nothing more than an illusion. Yes, I fancy you're right about that, doctor. But it was a most amazing one. Dr. McCarthy then went into a dissertation on ghosts and apparitions as we walked on up to the cottage. When we reached the garden path, I was a little puzzled by the bright light that was streaming out the front door. Soon I saw that it was wide open. Had Laura gone for a walk? Well, come on in, Doctor. We'll find Laura and then pour ourselves a drop of whiskey. Good. The house was ablaze with candles. Laura had not only lit the wax ones... But there must have been a dozen other sputtering, glaring, tallow dips stuck all over the room in odd little places. Laura, we have company. Oh, Laura. I wonder if she went out for a walk. Uh, Laura. Aunt. Yes? Look. Where? <gasps> Laura. There in the little recess of the window I saw her. What had she been doing there? looking for me, but the doctor said it before I quite dared to. Someone's been in this room. Has Jenna belong here? Who? Yeah, who? Laura didn't move. Her mouth was drawn and her eyes were wide open, very wide. She looked as if she'd heard a footstep behind her and turned to meet. What? I passed my hands over her eyes. They saw nothing. What had they seen last? The doctor moved toward her, but I pushed him aside as if I were afraid of what he'd say. And then I took her in my arms. Laura, Laura, darling, I've got you now. You're safe. I. she's safe. She's dead. <laughs> oh, no. She fell into my arms like a limp, loose-jointed doll. I was slightly mad with this horrible sense of loss. But I knew she was dead. I knew it, and nothing mattered anymore. Laura was dead. 
and the world was dead. And I silently prayed that I might die. What's in her hand? I don't know. I don't care. Laura's dead. But the doctor pried open her fingers. And soon something fell out of that grim clutch and dropped to the floor. We looked at it. And then at each other. For what we saw was no hallucination. It seemed to fairly shriek its defiance to reason. For there on the floor was a gray marble finger. And so runs the tale of Man-Size in Marble. Join us next week at the same time for another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Tonight's story was adapted from the story by E. Nesbitt entitled Man Size and Marbles. Heard in tonight's program were Carl Grayson as Vance Langham, Beth Calder as Laura, Phyllis Perry as Mrs. Darman and Archie Hugely as Dr. McCarthy. Musical background was provided by Earl Donaldson. The technical supervisor was Nephi Sorensen. This program was written by Bob Olson and produced and directed by Richard Thorne. Remember, be with us again next Sunday night on call at 8.30 p.m., when the Granite Furniture Stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo will take you on another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970 or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1 and if you want to drop me a line say hello make a suggestion a request a even a critique feel free to email me at Radio Show Nerd at gmail.com I also have a YouTube channel which is beginning to get a lot of traction, so thank you. Please check it out. Like the videos. Share. Highly appreciate it. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. Wolfman Jack, (laughs) the radio show nerd, signing off.